Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Good evening, everybody. I want to focus today's podcast or this evening's podcast uh, here in Puerto Rico on the Jackson Hole speech on Friday. Uh, Jerome Powell, as is uh, always the case, you have whoever is the chairman of the Federal Reserve makes the annual pilgrimage up to Jackson Hole and you know talks about monetary policy. It was a pretty short speech. I think they typically are. I think he spoke for about 15 minutes, but the markets were on pins and needles waiting for, uh, you know, the words to come down, uh, whether or not Powell was going to be hawkish or dovish. And pretty much immediately after Powell started to talk, the markets sold off. The stock market uh, dropped sharply. Gold dropped. The dollar rose because Powell said that the Fed still has a long way to go to getting inflation back down to 2%. Now, that's probably one of the biggest understatements of the year, uh, maybe of uh, the century. It's not that they have a long way to go. They have an impossible distance to travel. In fact, the route is so far between where we are and where the Fed thinks it's going to get that it's basically a mission impossible. There's no way uh, that the Fed is going to complete this journey. I don't know if the Fed understands this. The markets clearly don't understand that. Also, Powell did make some other hawkish statements. He reiterated uh, how resolute the Fed is going to be, that the Fed is going to get inflation back down to 2%. It's committed to doing that. And he also said that 2% is the rate. It's not going to go any higher. The Fed is not going to say, well, it's now two and a half or it's three or something like that, because there are people who think that maybe what the Fed will do is is move the goalposts a little closer to where we are so it can actually you know get over the finish line. But Powell basically threw cold water on the idea that the Fed is going to move those benchmarks. It's staying at two percent and the Fed is going to do whatever it takes. It's going to keep on hiking and it's going to stay higher longer and make sure that inflation goes down to 2%. Now, I don't know if anybody expected him to say anything else. Uh, I, you know, that, oh, no, well, yeah, you know, we're iffy, you know, we're a little wishy-washy, maybe not quite too. I don't know if pe- people thought that that might actually happen. I didn't think that he would cave. 
Um, but, you know, maybe there was some hope out there that, uh, you know, for the bulls. But the market sold off on uh, on those uh, those hawkish statements, although the markets all recovered their losses. I mean, so the Dow rallied on the day, the Nasdaq rallied. The market just totally shrugged it off, which is what the market has been doing. Yes, we've had a a, a decent correction off the highs, but the market has um, basically held up very well in relation to the carnage in the bond market. And I expect that bond market carnage to continue. I mean, there's nothing uh, that would stop bond prices from falling and yields from continuing to rise. In fact, Powell's statements on, on Friday simply reinforce uh, the, 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 um, the momentum that we have, I think, to the downside in, in the bond market. But I think the most interesting part about Powell's 15-minute speech is not what he said, but what he left out. Because here you are, you're the chairman of the Federal Reserve, and you're talking about inflation and how inflation is a big problem. And you're trying to reduce aggregate demand. I mean, that's basically what Powell said. He said that the goal of higher interest rates is to reduce demand. And what he wants is to let supply catch up with demand, right? So we need more production, and the Fed is going to uh, push back against uh, demand, against consumption, by raising interest rates. And by raising interest rates, he makes uh, you know, mortgages more expensive and auto loans more expensive. And so this is how Powell thinks that the Fed is going to bring inflation back down to 2% by reducing aggregate demand. But what Powell doesn't address is the elephant in the living room, which is that aggregate demand is not going down. It doesn't matter that the Fed has raised interest rates. It's done nothing. And one of the main reasons it's done nothing is because at the same time that the Fed is pursuing a tighter monetary policy of quantitative easing and of interest rate hikes, the U.S. federal government is pursuing the opposite policy. The U.S. government is now running one of the most uh, expansive, stimulative fiscal policies in our nation's history. We are running the biggest deficits that we've ever run uh, outside of um, you know COVID. In fact, the deficits that we're running now are larger than they have been during any prior recession. It's when there's a recession that the government goes to these stimulative fiscal policies where they try to stimulate aggregate demand by running budget deficits. The government spends more than it collects in taxes, and that's supposed to stimulate demand. Well, they normally do that more when you're in recession. You know, they don't have to do that when the economy is growing. And in fact, you've got Biden out there talking about how we've got the strongest economy in the world. So it's not only do we have this growth. And by the way, I think also on Friday, the Atlanta Fed upped its forecast again for Q3 GDP to 5.9%. So according to the Federal Reserve, the economy is booming 
And Powell is talking about how they're reducing aggregate demand with their rate hikes. They haven't reduced anything. But the point I'm making is if we've got this growing economy, yet despite this growing economy, we are running uh, budget deficits that are close to $2 trillion per year. Now, if we're running deficits of $2 trillion a year, when the economy is good, when it's growing, supposedly, what's going to happen during the next recession? I mean, we're going to have one. What's going to happen? Well, typically, budget deficits could double from uh, expansion to recession when the Fed is supposed to be stimulating the economy. The problem is they're already stimulating it, not the Fed, rather, the government. We have this massive stimulative fiscal policy that is working at cross purposes with the Fed. And that was my point. How can the Fed not mention this? How can the Fed not say, look, we got a problem here. We're trying to fight inflation, but the government is undermining our efforts. We're trying to reduce aggregate demand by raising rates. And the reason it hasn't worked, (laughs) one of the reasons is because the government is doing the opposite. The government is undermining everything we're trying to achieve with its stimulative fiscal policy. And it's actually even more stimulative than that. Even though the deficits are, you know, the way the run rate is now, you know, over the last year, it's about $2 trillion, but it's actually picking up pace. I I looked at the, uh, the national debt clock just before I did this podcast, and it's a little over. 32.7 trillion. Now we hit 32 trillion on June 15th. That's what, two and a half months ago, 72 days ago. I, 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 I added it up 72 days. We've added over $700 billion to the national debt in 72 days. I mean, a few years ago, that was more red ink than we, than we built up in an entire year. Just the past 72 days, we've added over $700 billion to the national debt. Now, if you multiply that out for the whole year, if we continue running debts at the pace we're running it now, and we're not even in in an official recession, at the pace we're going, we're talking about $3.5 trillion in budget deficits. The budget deficits are going up. We are stimulating more and more. That is going to undermine everything the Fed has done. And nothing that the Fed has done is going to work in the face of this fiscal policy that is so stimulative. But it's also because of the lag effect of 10 or 20 years of easy money. All the money that the Fed has been creating through QE1, QE2, QE3, QE4, Those effects are still being pushed out in the economy. Yes, the Fed is backing off now, but that's not going to do anything about all the inflation that's still in the pipeline and what the government is doing now that is ultimately going to cause the Fed to reverse course. Now, I was reading this article, too, about um, the food stamp program and the big increase that we had in food stamps. Um, earlier, you know, like a year ago in the last stimulus that the uh, Biden administration passed. And you can see on a chart how food prices, you know, skyrocketed 
right along with uh, the increase in, in food stamps. It was a record increase. I think it was like $100 billion or whatever we're spending on food stamps. But food stamps create demand for food, right? That's more demand. It's like money. Food stamps are like money because you can take them and you can buy food. And in fact, you can se- I guess you can sell them and somebody else can buy food. You can buy whatever you want. I mean, when you expand the, the food stamps that are out there, you're really expanding money supply. You're increasing aggregate demand. You know, when, when you create food stamps, more people want to buy food, but there's no more food. The farmers don't grow extra food because people have food stamps. The food supply is what it is. But you give people more money to buy whatever that supply of food is, that just puts more upward pressure on the price because there's more demand for the same amount of, of stuff. And in fact, you know, maybe production went down during COVID and hasn't really recovered. So that also contributed to the problem. But how is it that Powell can give this speech with all the world looking at him, talking about inflation and ignoring this problem? What Powell should be doing is, you know, warning about these big deficits and saying, Congress needs to help out here. I can't do this all by myself, especially when you are pursuing the opposite type of policy. I'm doing contractionary monetary policy, yet the Biden administration and Congress are doing expansionary fiscal policy. You're making my job impossible. But Powell is too much of a wimp to actually call out the Biden administration. You know, for all the talk about independence, right? Powell keeps like to say, I stay in my lane. You know, my lane is monetary policy. You know, the monetary policy and fiscal policy, they're not separate lanes. They intersect. <laughs> they work hand in glove. You can't ignore fiscal policy when you're running monetary policy. You can't say, hey, there's a separation here. And I don't want to interfere with what Congress is doing. No, he, he, he's got to interfere. In fact, he's paid to interfere. The idea that there is an independent Fed, it's supposed to be independent from Congress, not the other way around. It's not that the Fed is not supposed to point out when Congress is doing something wrong or the president. No, no, no. That is the job of the Fed chairman. If Congress is running these big deficits and it's creating a problem for inflation, if it's creating a problem for the Fed and the public, the Fed chairman is supposed to call them out. The Fed chairman is supposed to say, hey, you got to cut cut spending. You got to bring down these deficits. The last time a Fed chairman had to deal with a big inflation problem and he actually kind of solved it was Paul Volcker. And that's exactly what Paul Volcker did. Paul Volcker didn't say, I can't comment on fiscal policy. That's not my, you know, my lane. No, the, you know, we, we stay in our lane. No, he, he pointed out that the root cause of inflation was deficit spending. That was the cause of inflation in the 70s. And it's the driving force of inflation now. It's why Powell not only has a long way to go, he had even started on the journey. In fact, he's further away from bringing inflation back down to 2% than he was when he started. I don't care 
if the CPI has gone down from nine to three, it's going right back up again because the deficits have expanded dramatically since he started his fight. In fact, he keeps talking about how he's going to reduce inflation by reducing aggregate demand. Aggregate demand has gone up. There's more aggregate demand now than there was when he started the fight. And I'm going to uh, pick up on that uh, on that topic on the other side of this uh, quick break. So stick around. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Now, I'm talking about um, the Fed and aggregate demand because Powell is saying that the reason these rate hikes are going to work is because they're going to reduce demand. But they're not working. They're not doing it. Yes, are they reducing pockets of demand? Yes, they are, right? Housing, home sales have collapsed, right? That has happened. But home prices haven't collapsed. Rents haven't collapsed. Yes, fewer people are buying homes because they can't afford them, but that's not doing anything uh, to the CPI. Yes, I guess fewer people are taking out loans to buy cars, and we're seeing you know, maybe a decline a little bit, but not, not really. Meanwhile, food prices keep going up. Energy prices, which were going down, are now going up, and they're going to keep going up. So nothing has happened. I keep talking on this podcast. The savings rate has plunged. The entire time the Fed's been raising rates, the savings rate has been falling. What does that tell you? That Powell's hasn't had an impact. Those higher rates are supposed to cause people to save. <laughs> that, that, that is what they're designed to do. Oh, interest rates are up. Let me save my money. I can make more interest. They're not doing that. They're depleting the savings they have. It's had no effect. The rate hikes are too little too late. And even though they've gone up to 5%, historically, that, that, that's no big deal. It's not like these are high interest rates. They're high relative to where they were, but they're not high in any normal sense of the word. They're not high relative to their historic precedent. The Fed still has a long way to go in order to successfully fight the kind of inflation that we got. 5% is nothing. People don't care about that. They're, and the credit card, credit card rates are over 20%. People don't care. Credit card debt's at a record high. It keeps going up. Look, we have to have a much more meaningful contraction in credit, not just that the rates go up, but the credit has to go away. Lenders have to stop giving out these consumer loans. That's what has to happen. And that probably would have happened had a lot of these banks not been backstopped, had they not been bailed out by the Fed, given what has already happened, there probably would be a lot of banks that would not be extending uh, this type of consumer credit. But because they've got the Fed behind them, they continue to loan out money to overly indebted consumers who are probably not going to pay back what they borrowed. But in the meantime, that consumer credit is adding to aggregate demand. It's allowing consumers to keep buying stuff, even though the prices have gone up. So again, the Fed has been completely ineffective 
in its fight against inflation. I mean, if the Fed is really going to fight inflation all by itself, it needs much bigger rate hikes. I mean, we're not even close to where we have to go. But the reality is, if the Fed were to ever raise rates high enough to make a meaningful dent in aggregate demand, which is what it's going to have to do, we don't just have a recession, we have a full-blown financial crisis. Because again, our economy is built on consumer spending. And consumers only spend if they can borrow. So in order to keep this house of cards from collapsing, consumers have to keep on borrowing, keep on spending. But if they do that, we're never going to get rid of the inflation. Now, yes, we were able to do it in the past because there were certain a confluence of circumstances that allowed us to get away with it. The primary one being our ability to export our inflation due to the fact that the U.S. dollar was the reserve currency. Well, wake up and, you know, smell the, 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 the not the roses, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bad smell, but no, not even, the, I don't know what, what, what would be the uh, equivalent of something that smells really bad, <laughs> but look what's going on right now, right? As everybody was focusing on Jackson Hole, right? And what the, the chairman of the Fed has to say, right? That the biggest debtor nation in the world, the, the, the nation that is on a fiscal trajectory, right? Uh, to financial Armageddon, right? We, we, we've never been in a weaker position. As I said, you know, we're on a run rate now of three and a half trillion in annual deficits, but that run rate is going to increase. That's the problem. The longer rates stay at 5% or going to five and a half or six, wherever they're going to go, seven, eight, wherever the Fed takes them, more and more of that short-term debt matures and has to be rolled over. Plus all that has to be borrowed. The deficits to pay the higher rates. I mean, it's just, this thing is spiraling. It's a death spiral. And there's nobody out there, you know, again, we had uh, the, the the Republican debates. I talked about that on the last podcast. Yeah, they talked about space aliens and stuff. They didn't really talk about the fiscal time bomb and what, you know, what programs are going to be cut. Nobody talked about the spending that needs to be cut. They did criticize, you know, Biden inflation. Okay, well, what are you going to do about it? Because, you know, had Trump won, we'd have inflation too. Because all this inflation started before Biden came along. Yes, he threw a little more gas on the fire with with his stimulus, but he only put that on top of the of the Trump stimulus. Trump started that big COVID stimulus, right? The deficits exploded under Trump. They were already exploding before COVID. And then they just blew up even more during COVID. And then we just handed that baton to Biden, who just, you know, went with it and just did something again. In fact, had Trump been president, they probably would have done another stimulus, too. I mean, all these Republicans are great at criticizing government spending when it's the Democrats who are doing the spending. But the minute they get power, they spend almost as much and they don't criticize. But in these debates, nobody was talking about what they're going to do about the deficits, what spending is going to be cut. Nobody, there's there's nothing even on the horizon. There were points in our past where Congress, you know, at least gave lip service to our to the deficits to kind of make our creditors think that, okay, we're going to do something, right? All these kind of, I don't know, grand rubmen or different uh, th- things where, okay, we're going to balance the budget. 
down the road where we got these spending cuts or these tax hikes. There, there was some kind of plan that they would BS. And I always called them out on it and said, look, this is all BS. It's never going to happen because it's all about stuff that's going to happen in the future. But at least they pretended they were going to do something in the future. They've stopped pretending. Nobody cares. I mean, the debt is on autopilot. And, and so the world knows this. And look what's happening. Um, we're, 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 we're looking at what's happening uh, in Jackson Hole. Meanwhile, meanwhile, on the other side of the world, right, the, the BRIC nations are having a summit. They got more nations on board. Right now they've got Saudi Arabia. They've got the United Arab Emirates. There's a few other countries. It's, they're, 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 their uh, influence is, is growing. Right? And, and what do a lot of these nations have in common that are now, you know, organizing together? They are our bankers. They buy our bonds. They supply us with all of our stuff, right? They're our biggest suppliers and our biggest lenders. And what are they meeting about? They're meeting about not lending us any more money, not supplying us with any more goods. What are they talking about? In addition to expanding, right, their economic sphere, what do they want to make the, the, the centerpiece of, of this expansion? A new currency for global settlements that is not the U.S. dollar. I mean, hello. I mean, you know, how big a bell do they have to ring? And what are they talking about? What, what do they want to tie their new currency to if not the dollar? Gold. Real money. What does that tell you? The world is waking up. And it's not just because, you know, we sanctioned Russia. I mean, that's part of it. That's like a slap in the face. Like, hey, you idiots, right? You got to get away from the dollar because look what we just did to Russia, right? You know, you don't want that to happen to you, do you? So you better do something. But it's more than that. These countries, their leaders aren't a bunch of idiots. They don't want to go down with this ship. They don't want to have to keep accumulating dollars when they're going to just collapse in value. They can see that. They can see the runaway deficits, the complete lack of any fiscal discipline in Washington or even lip service to fiscal discipline, because at least we had that before. You know, it wasn't worth much, but that's what we had. We had we had the fact that we BS people. Well, we've stopped even doing that. And so what do you expect? So they're like, we got to you know move on from this. So the dollar hegemony, right? This is it. This is the beginning of the end. Now, how long this process is going to take? I don't think it's going to be a long time. This is not going to unfold over the decades. <laughs> this is unfolding in this decade. It's unfolding now, right? Again, it's that, that old saying, how did you go broke? Well, slowly at first and then all at once, right? Well, we've been going broke for decades, right? We were uh, a creditor nation. In fact, we were the world's biggest creditor nation in the 1980s. And so we went from way up here to, you know, way down here. You can't see my hand because it's way down below the, 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 the range of the, of the camera. But it was a huge fall from the biggest creditor to the biggest debtor. Our debt to GDP, I think, was about 30% in the 80s. It's now 120%. But that GDP, looks a lot different now than it looked in the 1980s because a lot less of it 
is manufacturing. And a lot more of it is the service sector because we've outsourced a lot of our manufacturing to the very countries that are now going to cut us off because our GDP is a lot of fluff. It's phony. So the numbers are actually worse if you look at, let's say, uh, debt relative to manufacturing today versus where it was in the 1980s. And you can throw in mining or energy or stuff that, you know, goods production, right? The productive part of the economy because the service sector is going to implode very quickly. So that GDP is going to go away because that G GDP is only possible if we can import the stuff that we don't produce. Right? Because if we don't import all these products, let's say that are going to be on the shelves at Walmart, well, if Walmart doesn't have anything to sell, what happens to Walmart, right? Well, they got to shut down a bunch of stores. What happens to all the workers in the service sector? See, if you, you work at Walmart, and you ring a cash register, or you're a greeter, or you're stocking shelves, right? You, you're, you know, you're a certain part of the service economy, but your services aren't needed if there's no stuff to buy. No one's going to go down to Walmart just to shake hands, uh, you know, with the with the uh, the, the cash cashiers. No, I mean they're only they only want to buy stuff, right? But if there's nothing to buy because we can't export our inflation anymore. Nobody wants our dollars, so the whole service sector economy is going to implode. So the GDP is going to collapse, but the debt doesn't collapse. The next recession, if it's led by a dollar crisis, a collapsing dollar, the debt to GDP is going to explode because our deficits, which are now, again, at a run rate of three and a half trillion, maybe in the next recession, they become six trillion or seven trillion. Imagine that. But then the economy actually contracts dramatically because all the imports are stopping because the dollar is imploding and we can't afford to buy anything. And so the service sector just crumbles. And so as your debt is exploding, your GDP is imploding. And then your debt to GDP really spirals out of control. And what about our net foreign obligations, our current account, which is gonna go ballistic? We're gonna have to pay all these interest payments abroad uh, as the economy is collapsing because now you know foreigners who own whatever bonds they had uh, we've got to make those payments now of course a lot of foreigners are going to be selling the bonds because those payments won't keep pace with inflation or from their perspective dollar depreciation you know once the dollar really starts to fall and you're you know outside the united states you really want to get rid of your treasuries. I mean, if you think the U.S. bond market is in trouble now, wait till you see what happens when the dollar starts to tank. Because the, the relatively strong dollar has been supporting the bond market. Because again, as I've said, bonds are IOU dollars. That's all they are. So the Treasury bond can't be any stronger than the dollars that they're obligated to pay. And confidence is key. And if people think that, hey, a 4% or 5%, maybe we'll get there soon on a 30-year treasury, 10-year treasury, if that's not going to compensate me for 10 years of dollar depreciation, especially relative to my base currency, I'm not going to stick around. But again, all of these BRIC nations, to the extent that they de-dollarize, they don't need all of the trillions in treasuries 
They're hoarding right now. Why do they have all these dollars? Why have they been loaning us all the money? This is how the system works. People just don't get this. But not only did countries like China produce the stuff that we consume, but they loaned us the money to do it. Because as we were running deficits so that we could import Chinese products, the Chinese took the money they earned and bought our treasury bonds, bought our mortgage-backed securities. So they, they loaned us right back the money that they earned selling us the stuff. So they sold us stuff that we couldn't produce, and then they loaned us money that we didn't save. And so America, you know, we got to consume a lot of stuff that we didn't produce. We got to borrow a lot of money that we didn't save, right? We got the easy uh, part of it. And, 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 and they, you know, they, they did all the heavy lifting. That's all going to stop. It's happening right now. It's happening right before eyes. But the problem is most people just don't get it. They have no clue. Just like they were blindsided by the 2008 financial crisis. The same people still don't get it. Right? And so th these aren't even on their radar. They, they think this is just some kind of sideshow. They, they just care about the Fed. Hey, all we need is we want to know when buy when Powell's going to start cutting rates and it's off to the races, right? That that's what they believe. They just think we just got to make it past this little inflation fight. We just got to get inflation closer to two percent, and then the Fed's just going to bring rates right back down to zero, and we're back in business, and the economy is going to be humming. It's not, right? It, it, it that game is over. The ship has sailed. It's 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 finished, right? that drug isn't going to work anymore. All you have to do is look at what's happening. Look at what's changed. The world has had enough. And they're saying that. They're telling us this, but we don't even understand the vulnerabilities. We're, you know, we're still very arrogant. Everybody thinks, oh, America is this superpower, right? And, and it doesn't matter. You know, uh, we, we jump and the world says, how high, right? We, 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 you know, we, we you know, sneeze and the world catches a cold. That, that's not the way it is anymore. You know, in that debate, I thought it was interesting because, you know, you have all these Republican candidates and they're kind of arguing over, you know, who's our biggest enemy? You know, is our enemy China? You know, is it Russia? They're not our enemies. We trade with them. <laughs> they're not our enemies. Our enemy is domestic. It's not foreign. We're not at war. I mean, you say, oh, we're at some kind of a, a, a trade war or an economic war. No, we're not. I mean, does China have uh, a desire to be the top economy? Sure. But to become the top economy, if we had a sound economy, that wouldn't lower our standard of living. Because the way they would become the top economy is just to be even more productive. And to the extent that they're more productive, we'd benefit. So China's rise would lift all boats. Just like if you look at it from a, a economic perspective, right? You talk about, hey, you know, when somebody gets rich in, 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 in the private sector, in capitalism, they don't impoverish everybody on the way up. They lift everybody up with them. You get rich by satisfying other people's needs and desires, by making other people's lives better. And so we should all be rooting for China to be an economic success. 
it doesn't hurt us if China succeeds, right? That's maybe an arrogance or a jealousy, right? Just like I, I don't have to root for other businessmen to fail. I don't want, you know, entrepreneurs to fail, right? Do, do you want the guy who's trying to cure cancer? Do you want him to fail? No, just because he's going to get rich. No, I want him to succeed because I don't want to get cancer, right? So I, I want people to get rich, making my life better. And if they happen to be in China, why should I care, right? I don't care if someone in China cures cancer. I just want it cured, right? I don't care if I have to pay someone in China. Now, would I rather pay somebody in America? Sure, but I'd rather get cured. And, I, and if it's going to be, and if it's China that's going to do it, that's fine with me. So we're not at war with China. Free people don't fight wars with one another. They trade with one another to mutual advantage. Governments maybe wage wars, uh, but the private sector is not that foolish. But to try to figure out who is our enemy, right? Who is really a threat to our, our liberty and our prosperity? It's not China. I mean, how do they threaten us? Making us products that we want? I mean, maybe some people think, oh, TikTok, right? They're, they're undermining us with TikTok. Well, if they weren't using TikTok, they'd be on some other thing. Uh, you know, they, and it, 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 it's no different, right? That's not a war. Our enemies are the ones that are, have the power to harm us and who are using that power right now. And that's not China. That's not Russia. That's Washington. It's our domestic enemies that we need to be concerned about. That's what the Republican Party should be talking about. The threat coming from Washington, D.C., from the United States Congress, from the White House, from the Federal Reserve. Those are America's enemies because they are undermining our living standards. They are undermining our standard of living, our constitution, our individual liberty, our, pro our prosperity, our posterity. I mean, you name it, they are undermining it. That's where the threat is. So we need to war against Washington. We need to war against this runaway, reckless federal spending. We need to war against the Federal Reserve that has been monetizing this debt and making it all possible. No, I wanted to elaborate on that point because I, I realized I, I didn't finish it earlier on the, um, the, 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 the independent Federal Reserve. It's independent from the White House and Congress. So the Congress is not supposed to try to influence monetary policy because monetary policy is supposed to be non-political because the politicians want to get reelected. And, and so they're likely to do something that's good politics, but not good economics. And the Fed, though, is supposed to be above that fray, right? Because nobody at the Fed has to be elected, although they do have to be appointed. And that's part of the problem, because I think Powell and a lot of other Fed chairmen, they like their jobs, they like the power, and they want to get reappointed. So they end up, you know, being political, you know, under, you know, behind the scenes to try to, they're lobbying to get another, another term. And so they kind of do whatever the uh, incumbent power president, whatever that party, they kind of toe that line because 
that's who's going to reappoint them. And even if they lose, like let's say you're a Fed chairman and it's a Democrat, right? And, and, and so while you're in power, you never criticize this Democratic president. You do exactly what he wants. You help him get reelected. Uh, you know, you stimulate the economy when he needs it. And then he loses, right? And now there's a Republican. Well, basically, you just say, well, you know what? Well, now, now I'm working for you. So, see, I'm a team player, right? I did exactly what your Democratic predecessor did. So reappoint me because I'll do the same thing for you, right? I'm loyal. I, I, I'm your guy, right? I'm, I'm your lackey here at the Fed. I'm your yes man. You know, I already proved it. You see, I did everything the Democrat president wanted. And so if you reappoint me, Republican, I'll do everything you want, right? It doesn't matter, right? They, they, they don't have a side. They, they will do whatever the party who holds their future wants them to do, right? Whoever can reappoint them, right? That is the problem. But again, so the Congress is not supposed to criticize the Fed and the president, especially if they're tight. I mean, I think if the Fed is too easy, they should be criticized. But that's not when you're worried. When you're worried about the criticism is when the Fed is tough when the Fed is taking action that is causing some short-term pain, right? Now the voters don't like that, and the politicians want to act like, oh, this is terrible what the Fed is doing. And in fact, that's exactly what happened when Volcker was chairman and he was jacking up interest rates. He got a lot of criticism from members of Congress. One of the only people in Washington that stood up for Volcker was Ronald Reagan. He didn't criticize him. Unlike Donald Trump, when Powell started raising rates, Trump was all over him, and he had barely raised them. Trump was saying, this is terrible. You should cut rates. We should have negative rates, right? So he was criticizing. He was threatening to fire Powell. Rates, I mean, they went 1%, 2%. How high did they get? I mean, nothing, right? So the opposite of what Ronald Reagan did. But so the criticism is not supposed to come, or the interference, the the is not supposed to come from Congress to the Fed. But that does not mean that the that it can't go the other way. It is absolutely, absolutely the role of the Fed to criticize deficit spending, 100%. Powell should be talking to the Democrats and, say, and Biden and saying, look, you guys claim that you want lower inflation. Well, you're causing higher inflation with these deficit spending. So you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. If you really want lower inflation, then cut spending. And if you're not going to do that, then raise taxes. But you got to do one or the other. Because if you don't do something, my rate hikes aren't going to work. Maybe in the short run, we'll slow it down. Again, how are the rate hikes working? They only worked because the dollar went up. That's really it. The strong dollar, the big rise of the dollar brought down commodity prices. But that was a temporary one-time thing. That is all wearing off. And then these rate hikes aren't going to matter at all because then we're going to still have the higher rates, right? We're going to have 5 or 6% rates, but now we're going to have the dollar falling. And so oil prices are going to be rising. Commodity prices are going to be rising. All the prices are going to be rising and rates are going to be higher. So now what? Are we going to start all over again? and go from 5% to 10%, again, we can't. The, the markets can't bear another leg up. The financial markets, the banks, they would completely implode. The only reason they're not, apart from the, the, you know, the backdrop, backdrops, 
is that nobody believes the Fed's going much higher than where we are right now. For all the tough talk about the Fed doing whatever it takes, everybody believes that whatever it takes is maybe another 25 or 50 basis points tops. Nobody is even contemplating that it may be 200, 300, 400, that maybe rates have to double. And in fact, they do. But again, it can't happen because the market's going to crack. Whatever the rate is that is high enough, I don't know what the rate is, but whatever the rate is that is needed to bend this inflation curve, it is too high. The markets can't take it. So it really doesn't even matter what that rate is because we're never going to get there. Because before we get there, the markets are going to implode because that's the only thing that's going to stop the hikes is a massive financial crisis, which is inevitable as long as the Fed has to keep pretending that it's going to fight inflation. But the bigger problem is what's happening abroad, because just as we're creating all these dollars and creating all this debt, which means we have to borrow more, the world is preparing to lend less. Our biggest lenders are telling us that they're not going to be there to lend us the record amounts of money that we need to borrow. And again, Powell is saying, hey, we, we want to let um, supply catch up with demand. That's what he's hoping, right? With He's pushing against aggregate demand with these rate hikes, and he wants supply to pick up. Well, supply is going to crash when the dollar crashes because all the goods that have been forming our supply, we're not going to be able to import those goods when the dollar tanks. So when that happens, you get the opposite. You get supply falling and demand is still rising because of all the money printing or all the deficit spending. And again, at some point, Powell's going back to QE. I don't care how much he's talking about it. And you know, the Fed balance sheet is still above $8 trillion. It's shrinking, but $8 trillion is still enormous. Yes, it's a little bit below. It was the highest it got to was just below nine, and now it's a little bit above eight. So we have managed some shrinkage. But I mean, look at what's happened in the bond market. And to, to have any significant shrinkage from here in the balance sheet, I mean, it, it's, there's going to be a lot more blood in that market. Uh, prices are going to go a lot lower and rates are going to go a lot higher. Look, we are you know, in the eye of a hurricane here when it comes to uh, the economy imploding and rates. And, you know, I've, I've warned about this stuff before. And, you know, every time I warn about it, I think that the evidence is even stronger than it was in the past. And that is true. And yes, we've been we've managed to, you know, elude this day of reckoning. We, we've managed to uh, kick that can down the road. Right several times in the past. Just looking at the events that are transpiring right now that I really think are unprecedented uh, in any of these, you know, prior, you know, points where I've gotten, you know, oh my God, this could be it, right? <laughs> you know, this is the worst I've seen. These are the biggest deficits I've ever seen and the trajectory of where they're likely to go in the next year or two. We've never seen anything like it. And 
we've never seen anything like what's happening on the global stage where you have this, you know, this mutiny on our hands where, uh, you know, the, 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 the deckhands and the crew are going to throw the captain overboard. They're, they're not going to go along with this scheme anymore. They're, they're tired of doing it. They don't want to row our boat anymore, right? They're, it's a mutiny, right? And, and so to me, you gotta, you gotta take action. You, you can't just e ignore this. You can't not read the writing on the wall when it's written, you know, in, in bold, in, in flashing neon lights <laughs> that the dollar's days are numbered and that number is not big. I don't know what it is. It's no way to know. We'll know when it's up because of the implosion you'll see in the world financial markets, but then it's too late. It's too late to do anything about it. It's too late to protect yourself. And so I think while everybody is fixated on Nvidia and you know what's going on uh, there and you know the tech market, this you got to worry about this. You you got to worry about what nobody is concerned about because that's what's going to come back to bite everybody. Because believe me, nobody was worried about the housing market. Uh, nobody was worried about a financial crisis until uh, Lehman imploded. But all of the uh, the signs were there. They were there for years. It was plain as day. No one cared about it. Right? These signs are even larger. And as far as I'm concerned, even harder to miss. <laughs> but but the same people are missing them. So don't miss them. Obviously, if you're a client of mine, you're you're prepared. Right? If you're if you're not yet a client, if you're just a uh, a listener to this podcast or you're watching it you know on youtube and you haven't done anything do something right I, this is not just about entertainment and education yeah i want to do that i want to educate people i want to entertain people but i also want to protect people i want to i want i want to help people protect their wealth so there's there's some action that i'm hoping uh that will result uh, from this education right don't don't just you know think like okay yes act, do, do something, right? Help yourself, right? I, I, I can take you to water, but I can't make you drink. You got to decide on your own that you're going to drink this water and, and, and do something. So again, what do you do? Buy yourself some gold, you know, gold about 1915. Let me see what it's doing here on Sunday night. Again, it's still very quiet in the gold market, the lull before the storm, yeah, 1915, 1916. Look, we're not going down, and that means we're going to go up. If the market won't go down, up is the the only path it's going to take. So before we explode, buy it. You know, silver's been a lot stronger. In fact, silver was up again on Friday. Even as gold finished down a few dollars, silver was up again. So we're starting to see some relative strength in the silver market, which is a good sign for the, the gold market. So buy gold and silver, again, shift gold uh, is uh, the place to go to buy that gold and silver. In fact, again, I think we probably have people working tonight that could that could take your order. But if not tonight, make sure you, you, you get in touch with them on Monday. Again, you know, any day, I mean, this market could explode. There's no reason why it wouldn't. I think the downside risk at this point is pretty minimal in comparison to where I think this market is going to go. Uh, and in fact, why do you think these BRIC nations, 
Why do they want to base their new currency on gold? Because they have a lot more faith in gold than the dollar. Well, if all the countries around the world that produce all the stuff want to keep, want to use gold as their money, well, what does that tell you? That's what you want to buy. You, you want to buy what they're going to be buying. They're telling you. Uh, the BRIC nations and the, the Arab world, right? That was the heart of the petrodollar, right? This whole thing is disintegrating. But the world is getting ready to buy gold and dump dollars. So you got to front run that trade. This is the mother of all trades that you want to front run. You want to sell your dollars and buy your gold before <laughs> that happens. And again, you want to diversify your portfolio. You want to get out of these overpriced U.S. stocks and bonds, and you want to get into uh, foreign assets. It's assets. You need to preserve your wealth, get out of paper, get out of the U.S. financial assets, which I think are going to be dramatically marked down as the dollar collapses and the U.S. you know comes down off its pedestal here, and we have to reinvent ourselves again as a viable economy, which will not be easy in the political environment that that we're that we're in now and so uh, get your portfolio in real companies outside the united states that pay real dividends and have real earnings and can protect you from inflation again you got to talk to the representatives at euro pacific asset management my uh advisors can really help you uh prepare for this storm and and just you know uh weather it and just get the appropriate portfolio especially if it's the dollar. If the dollar ends up being uh, at, at the epicenter, which it wasn't in 2008. In 2008, the dollar went up. Right? And that's why the financial crisis wasn't a lot worse. It would have been much worse had the dollar gone the other way. But the dollar was at a record low when the financial crisis started. And so it rallied. It's not at a record low right now. It's far from a record low. So now, the risk is the dollar. And again, that's why I think that this isn't just going to be a garden a variety financial crisis. This will be a full-blown currency crisis and sovereign debt crisis. And that is an order of magnitude, several orders of magnitude larger than what happened in 2008. And that means that these portfolios that we're, we're establishing are far more appropriate now than, than they were back then. So I wouldn't waste any time. I would, you know, try to get your ducks in a row now, uh, you know, while you still have ducks to, to line up. Anyway, that's it uh, for, for this podcast. So stay tuned. I think the markets are going to be heating up. There's a lot of uh, action, exciting or not, however you want to define it. Uh, but I will be uh, talking about it live as it unfolds uh, right here. So uh, make sure to keep coming back. Bye-bye.